Section 19 of Popular Lectures on Scientific Subjects. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Popular Lectures on Scientific Subjects by Hermann von Helmholtz. An Autobiographical Sketch. An address delivered on the occasion of his Jubilee, 1891. Part 2. The ophthalmoscope is perhaps the most popular of my scientific performances, but I have already related to the oculists how luck really played a comparatively more important part than my own merit. I had to explain to my hearers Burke's theory of ocular illumination. In this, Burke was actually within a hair's breadth of the invention of the ophthalmoscope. He had merely neglected to put the question, to what optical image do the rays belong which come from the illuminated eye. For the purpose he then had in view, it was not necessary to propound this question. If he had put it, he was quite the man to answer it as quickly as I could, and the plan of the ophthalmoscope would have been given. I turned the problem about in various ways, to see how I could best explain it to my hearers, and I thereby hit upon the question I have mentioned. I knew well from my medical studies the difficulties which oculists had about the conditions then comprised under the name of amorosis, and I at once set about constructing the instrument by means of spectacle glasses and the glass used for microscope purposes. The instrument was at first difficult to use, and without an assured theoretical conviction that it must work, I might perhaps not have persevered but in about a week I had the great joy of being the first who saw clearly before him a living human retina. The construction of the ophthalmoscope had a very decisive influence on my position in the eyes of the world. For this time forward I met with the most willing recognition and readiness to meet my wishes on the part of the authorities and of my colleagues, so that, for the future, I was able to pursue far more freely the secret impulses of my desire for knowledge. I must, however, say that I ascribed my success in great measure to the circumstance that, possessing some geometrical capacity and equipped with a knowledge of physics, I had by good fortune been thrown among medical men where I found in physiology a virgin soil of great fertility while on the other hand I was led to the consideration of the vital processes to questions and points of view which are usually foreign to pure mathematicians and physicists. Up to that time I had only been able to compare my mathematical abilities with those of my fellow pupils and of my medical colleagues. That I was for the most part superior to them in this respect did not perhaps say very much. Moreover, Mathematics was always regarded in the school as a branch of secondary rank. In Latin composition, on the contrary, which then decided the palm of victory, more than half my fellow pupils were ahead of me. In my own consciousness, my researches were simple, logical applications of the experimental and mathematical methods developed in science which by slight modifications could be easily adapted to the particular object in view. My colleagues and friends who, like myself, had devoted themselves to the physical aspect of physiology, furnished results no less surprising. But in the course of time, matters could not remain in that stage. 
problems which might be solved by known methods i had gradually to hand over to the pupils in my laboratory and for my own part turned to more difficult researches where success was uncertain where general methods left the investigator in the lurch or where the method itself had to be worked out in those regions also which come nearer the boundaries of our knowledge i have succeeded in many things experimental and mechanical i do not know if i may add philosophical in respect of the former like any one who has attacked many experimental problems i had become a person of experience who was acquainted with many plans and devices and i had changed my youthful habit of considering things geometrically into a kind of mechanical mode of view i felt intuitively as it were how strains and stresses were distributed in any mechanical arrangement a faculty also met with in experienced mechanicians and machine constructors but i had the advantage over them of being able to make complicated and specially important relations perspicuous by means of theoretical analysis i have also been in a position to solve several mathematical physical problems and some indeed on which the great mathematicians since the time of euler had in vain occupied themselves for example questions as to vortex motion and the discontinuity of motion in liquids the question as to the motion of sound at the open ends of organ pipes etc etc but the pride which i might have felt about the final result in these cases was considerably lower by my consciousness that i had only succeeded in solving such problems after many devious ways by the gradually increasing generalizations of favorable examples and by a series of fortunate guesses i had to compare myself with the alpine climber who not knowing the way ascends slowly and with toil and is often compelled to retrace his steps because his progress is stopped sometimes by reasoning and sometimes by accident he hits upon traces of a fresh path which again leads him a little further and finally when he has reached the goal he finds to his annoyance a royal road on which he might have ridden up if he had been clever enough to find the right starting point at the outset in my memoirs i have of course not given the reader an account of my wanderings but i have described the beaten path on which he can now reach the summit without trouble there are many people of narrow views who greatly admire themselves if once in a way they have had a happy idea or believe they have had one an investigator or an artist who is continually having a great number of happy ideas is undoubtedly a privileged being and is recognized as a benefactor of humanity but who can count or measure such mental flashes who can follow the hidden tracts by which conceptions are connected that which man had never known or had not thought out through the labyrinth of the mind wanders in the night i must say that those regions in which we have not to rely on lucky accidents and ideas have always been most agreeable to me as fields of work but as i have often been in the unpleasant position of having to wait for lucky ideas i have had some experiences as to when and where they came to me 
which will perhaps be useful to others they often steal into the line of thought without their importance being at first understood then afterwards some accidental circumstance shows how and under what conditions they have originated they are present otherwise without our knowing whence they came in other cases they occur suddenly without exertion like an inspiration as far as my experience goes they never came at the desk or to a tired brain i have always so turned my problems about in all directions that i could see in my mind its turns and complications and run through them freely without writing them down but to reach that stage was not usually possible without long preliminary work then after the fatigue from this had passed away an hour of perfect bodily repose and quiet comfort was necessary before the good ideas came they often came actually in the morning on waking as expressed in goethe's words which i have quoted and as gauss had also remarked but as i have stated in heidelberg they were usually apt to come when comfortably ascending woody hills in sunny weather the smallest quantity of alcoholic drink seemed to frighten them away such moments of fruitful thought were indeed very delightful but not so the reverse when the redeeming ideas did not come for weeks or months i was gnawing at such a question until in my mind i was like a beast upon a barren heath dragged in a circle by an evil spirit while all around are pleasant pastures green and lastly it was often a sharp attack of headache which released me from the strain and set me free for other interests i have entered upon still another region to which i was led by investigation on perception and observation of the senses namely the theory of cognition just as a physicist has to examine the telescope and galvanometer with which he is working he has to get a clear conception of what he can attain with them and how they may deceive him so too it seemed to me necessary to investigate likewise the capabilities of our power of thought here also we were concerned only with a series of questions of facts about which definite answers could and must be given we have distinct impressions of the senses in consequence of which we know how to act the success of the action usually agrees with that which was to have been anticipated but sometimes also not in what are called subjective impressions these are all objective facts the laws regulating which it will be possible to find my principal result was that the impressions of the senses are only signs for the constitution of the external world the interpretation of which must be learned by experience the interest for questions of the theory of cognition had been implanted in me in my youth when i had often heard my father who had retained a strong impression from fitcher's idealism dispute with his colleagues who believed in kant or hegel hitherto i have had but little reason to be proud about those investigations for each one in my favor i have had about ten opponents and i have in particular aroused all the metaphysicians even the materialistic ones and all people of hidden metaphysical tendencies 
but the addresses of the last few days have revealed a host of friends whom as yet i did not know so that in this respect also i am indebted to this festivity for pleasure and for fresh hope philosophy it is true has been for nearly three thousand years the battleground for the most violent differences of opinion and it is not to be expected that these can be settled in the course of a single life i have wished to explain to you how the history of my scientific endeavors and successes so far as they go appears when looked at from my own point of view and you will perhaps understand that i am surprised at the universal profusion of praise which you have poured out upon me my successes have had primarily this value for my own estimate of myself that they furnished a standard of what i might further attempt but they have not i hoped led me to self-admiration i have often enough seen how injurious an exaggerated sense of self-importance may be for a scholar and hence i have always taken great care not to fall a prey to this enemy i well knew that a rigid self-criticism of my own work and my own capabilities was the protection and palladium against this fate but it is only needful to keep the eyes open for what others can do and what one cannot do oneself to find there is no great danger and as regards my own work i do not think i have ever corrected the last proof of a memoir without finding in the course of twenty-four hours a few points which i could have done better or more carefully as regards the thanks which you consider you owe me i should be unjust if i said that the good of humanity appeared to me from the outset as the conscious object of my labors it was in fact the special form of my desire for knowledge which impelled me and determined me to employ in scientific research all the time which was not required by my official duties and by the care for my family these two restrictions did not indeed require any essential deviation from the aims i was striving for my office required me to make myself capable of delivering lectures in the university my family that i should establish and maintain my reputation as an investigator the state which provided my maintenance scientific appliances and a great share of my free time had in my opinion acquired thereby the right that i should communicate faithfully and completely to my fellow-citizens and in a suitable form that which i had discovered by its help the writing out of scientific investigations is usually a troublesome affair at any rate it has been so to me many parts of my memoirs i have written five or six times and have changed the order about until i was fairly satisfied but the author has a great advantage in such a careful wording of his work it compels him to make the severest criticism of each sentence and each conclusion more thoroughly even than the lectures at the university which i have mentioned i have never considered an investigation finished until it was formulated in writing completely and without any logical deficiencies those among my friends who were most conversant with the matter represented to my mind my conscience as it were i asked myself whether they would approve of it 
they hovered before me as the embodiment of the scientific spirit of an ideal humanity and furnished me with a standard in the first half of my life when i still had to work for my external position i will not say that along with a desire for knowledge and a feeling of duty as servant of the state higher ethical motives were not also at work it was however in any case difficult to be certain of the reality of their existence so long as selfish motives were still existent this is perhaps the case with all investigators but afterwards when an assured position has been attained when those who have no inner impulse towards science may quite seize their labors a higher conception of their relation to humanity does influence those who continue to work they gradually learn from their own experience how the thoughts which they have uttered whether through literature or through oral instruction continue to act on their fellow men and possess as it were an independent life how these thoughts further worked out by their pupils acquire a deeper significance and a more definite form and reacting on their originators furnish them with fresh instruction the ideas of an individual which he himself has conceived are of course more closely connected with his mental field of view than extraneous ones and he feels more encouraged and satisfaction when he sees the latter more abundantly developed than the former a kind of parental affection for such a mental child ultimately springs up which leads him to care and to struggle for the furtherance of his mental offspring as he does for his real children but at the same time the whole intellectual world of civilized humanity presents itself to him as a continuous and spontaneously developing whole the duration of which seems infinite as compared with that of a single individual with his small contributions to the building up of science he sees that he is in the service of something everlastingly sacred with which he is connected by close bands of affection his work thereby appears to him more sanctified anyone can perhaps apprehend this theoretically but actually personal experience is doubtless necessary to develop this idea into a strong feeling the world which is not apt to believe in ideal motives calls this feeling love of fame but there is a decisive criterion by which both kinds of sentiment can be discriminated ask the question if it is the same thing to you whether the results of investigation which you have obtained are recognized as belonging to you or not when there are no considerations of external advantage bound up with the answer to this question the reply to it is easiest in the case of chiefs of laboratories the teacher must usually furnish the fundamental idea of the research as well as a number of proposals for overcoming experimental difficulties in which more or less ingenuity comes into play all this passes as the work of the student and ultimately appears in his name when the research is finished who can afterwards decide what one or the other has done and how many teachers are there not who in this respect are devoid of any jealousy thus gentlemen i have been in a happy position that in freely following my own inclination i have been led to researches for which you praise me as having been useful and instructive i am extremely fortunate that i am praised and honored by my contemporaries in so high a degree 
for a course of work which is to me the most interesting i could pursue but my contemporaries have afforded me great and essential help apart from the care of my own existence and that of my family of which they have relieved me and apart from the external means with which they have provided me i have found in them a standard of the intellectual capacity of man and by their sympathy for my work they have evoked in me a vivid conception of the universal mental life of humanity which has enabled me to see the value of my own researches in a higher light in these circumstances i can only regard as a free gift the thanks which you desire to accord me given unconditionally and without counting on any return end of section 19 end of popular lectures on scientific subjects by hermann von helmholtz